Welcome to Season 3 of The Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. As two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. Welcome to the Unforgiving 60 podcast. I'm Tim Curtis with my co-host Ben Pronk. And we are entering into part B of our discussion with Hamish Blake. We love when we have uh, long podcast episodes, not only because it normally indicates that we're really into the conversation, and certainly that's the case with this one, but also because it gives us two weeks of material that we can um, we can split up. Hello, Ben. Oh, sorry. Hi, Tim. Are you present in the moment? We've talked about that with Hamish, being yeah. present and in the moment. Yeah. No, I think I am. Mm. I was just so in the moment that I wanted to get on with the, <laughs> the thing that our listeners are interested in, not the pleasantries between us. That's very true. Mm. But in this uh, second part, we turn the topic uh, a little more on resilience uh, and some really interesting aspects from, from Hamish's perspective. And he turns the mic back on us um, mm. to, to a certain extent, which you can probably fast forward to get to the good bits with Hamish. He's got two copies of the Resilient Shield as well. Yeah. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're actually very humbled by the, the, the fact that uh, Hamish and, and so many other people are, are actually getting into it. It's cool. Okay, enough about us. Let's get on with the show. Well, why don't you just wait here at the bar while I go outside and go around the corner and get our car? We'll leave this old town behind by some beers right down south till dawn. Let's change topic slightly. Now, Ben, this morning our resilience survey broke. Can you tell us what happened? <laughs> Super resilient. <laughs> we, we, our, our Qualtrics engine um, had never experienced super resilience until one H. Blake took the survey. Yeah. I took the survey, guys. Well, I actually, I, you know, because I've, I've just got to the end. I am probably about 50 pages away from the end of the book, but I'm landing the plane. And then mm. I, when I, I was like, oh, look, I'm... I haven't exactly finished it, but I'm very, very close. I'm, I'm, I'm in adaptation. And then I was like, oh, no, I forgot to take the survey. Because early on <laughs> in the book, you specifically go... So you know, take the survey. Yeah, take the survey. past this page until you take the survey. Yeah. <laughs> then, like, put it fact, down. We say it on. about four times. You do say it a lot. And I remember reading, reading that in bed, reading that in bed going, must take the survey tomorrow. Because <laughs> I, I started the book of Billy, you know, maybe about 10 days ago, but I don't take my phone. I've got a thing like, you know, we leave our phones out of the bedroom and stuff. So in my defence, I was reading that bit and I was Good like, cool. well... Yeah. It's past digital sundown. I can't actually do it. I'm doing my you resilience. Yeah, yeah. You don't, yeah, you don't include a written version that I can mail in. So, unfortunately, <laughs> I have to wait till I'm back being digital tomorrow. Digital and then sun I up. Had to wait for digital uh, sun but, up. but do you know what? I'm kind of glad. I think in, I don't, I'm, I'm not overriding the book here. When people read the book, do do it at the time. But for those that are in my camp that forget to do it to the end, I actually found it really interesting doing the survey after I've read all the chapters rather than going into the chapter knowing my score. Um, and, you know, you know, because I think it might yeah. include a tendency to be like, oh, here we go, buddy, I'm fine with it, this is all good. <laughs> or, you know, or like, oh, social I'm killing it, so I don't need to read this chapter very intently. Because at my score, I found it really, um, I, found my, I found the score really interesting because it, it, it kind of was counterintuitive, I think, to a few of the places where I thought I was doing all right. 
And again, I know it's, it's an ego thing, right? Like mm. I caught myself, I could catch myself being disappointed at my score. But at the same time going, but that's the whole point of this book. <laughs> of this book. Like you guys didn't write a book going, you're rad, everything's fine. You know, just letting you know that you're perfect. <laughs> that's not the book. <laughs> Crack on with life. Nothing further to do here. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, just open up the book and go, well done. Just letting you know. We just wanted to sit down and let you know everything's trucking along fine and it should continue. <laughs> nothing you know, will like... <laughs> Cheech and Chong version of resilience. <laughs> yeah, nothing will go wrong. So it should be viewed as a gift when you find a much lower score than you thought you had, I think. And, but it was funny. I mean, even, you know, even I do believe that. I mean, it took, but it took me a second to go, well, wait a second. You know, my, the mind layer was lower than I was anticipating. And I was like, okay, well, that's interesting because I do personally, like I invest, it's a huge personal principle of mine to be, I'm fascinated by, practices of being in the present especially Mm. with my kids it's something I'm super conscious of um but also just day to day like you know I think I'm it's a thing that I've done for for years like even if you can't get around to meditating every day which I've ebbed and flowed with um one really simple practice that I I was told years ago I can't remember who taught it to me or told me but I, I use it all the time is to just focus on one sense right like so you know, pick audio or pick visual. And I do it with my kids all the time. Like I sometimes just have 10 seconds or 20 seconds where I'm watching my daughter play and I'll just try and find the most detailed, you know, just, just be obsessed with the curve of her cheek or or the way the light's hitting a few of her hairs or each, you know, each hair in the on the lobe of her ear or something. And it's beautiful. Like it, it, A, I think it helps you lock in that, that memory or that visual, you know, kind of burns it into your retina. But if you, the more you practice it, you can go super deep into being in that, you know, in that moment, in, in, even just with smells or the noise or whatever. Like, you know, there's always, it, it, as you guys talk about, the movie just pulls you back to the present, makes you realise how much of the world we're constantly filtering out as we're racing on to the next thing. Anyway, so for someone that feels like they were doing a lot of presence work, um, it, was, it was interesting to see that I was in the mid-50s, I think, for the mind layer. But it was a good, it was certainly a good, um, it's a great reminder. Like we, we, there's, like I said, you don't want to have clocked it. You want to be getting better. Yeah. We've had, it's been interesting The we've wrestled with the way we present the data from that because, um, you know, 80% of people think they're an above average driver and all that sort of stuff. People do uh, or don't respond to, to bell curves well. Um, so that that's one thing. The, the other thing is it's a self-reported test. And so... Yes. You know, there's, I think, probably a lot of people maybe are reporting aspirationally in any of these kind of surveys. And so that I know, bell curve I, I, maybe. I feel, like I, I feel like I didn't. Like it was like, you know, are you completely attentive? One of the questions I think was something along the lines of like, you're completely attentive on every task mm. you do. And I was like, look, I'd love to be. <laughs> To be honest, like maybe I'm not. I'm like, I'll go second, you know, second from the top. I'll go moderately agree. And then you get your result back, you're like, oh, shit, I should have oh, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't do it. <laughs> whilst it would have been funny for me to go through and game the system and appear on your podcast, you go like, well, mate, we saw your results 100% on everything. Well done. It. And like, was the mind, think... was your mind layer your lowest score? Because really the unimportant thing is is the relatively across your scores. There's no point yes. really looking at it. I think it actually was. Two, two things that I loved out of the book and 
Well, one, first of all, I just like the concept of the book. The reminder, of course, we know this stuff academically, mm. but the reminder that they're interwoven and that it's that there's five layers and that, you know, in the, it's not the first person to make the analogy, but like if you've got a table with one leg, the, the way to make it stronger is not to strengthen that leg, obviously. Like yeah. we need the other we need the other components like they are interwoven and and it was a good it was a good thing of just going i loved i loved the chapter on um on the social layer too i, I liked um you know i found it interesting that for a lot of people friends probably outranks family in terms of the close-knit support group yeah. something i definitely felt kind of like you know I, i've got i'm friendly with my family but but my friends have probably been way more critical i think to my mental health and and a select few. It really is just, you know, it is a couple, especially when you get fatherhood too. I think a lot of dads, especially young dads, feel that like there aren't massive catch-ups anymore. Mm -hmm. And you do, you know, even with my best mates, I reckon we catch up one in every eight attempts because we've mm -hmm. all got several kids. Yeah. And 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 it's a good reminder, I think, you know, you gotta keep pushing, you gotta you gotta put effort into those, into those areas for the reward. Yeah. I find that that social layer I'm <laughs> very weak as Tim would know you know that is not my strength but I, I do find that family versus friends thing interesting because both can well, A, the, the social layer helps reduce your vulnerability. So rather than increase your resilience, it, it helps reduce your vulnerability, which is subtly different from the academic perspective, which I thought was fascinating. But the idea that your family can be this enormous strength, but they also come with these preconceptions. And yeah. Tim sort of talks a lot about developing a mastermind group and, and having people who believe in you. Sometimes your family are there, well, you know, maybe that's not you or they've got a preconception because of... Um, you know, their own baggage or their, their sort of history with you. And that's where friends can really be, uh, I guess, that, that greater sense of support and resilience. But. Totally. Not exactly the same thing, but um, one, of, one of the great interviews I reckon over the last few years is Jerry Seinfeld on the Tim Ferriss show. It might have been a year or two ago, but real masterclass, like, you know, A for comedy, but also just I love, I love Jerry. Jerry's I think Jerry's kind of like a hilarious guru a little bit. Like he just has some great takes on life. And one of the things he talks about is when he's, this applies to him writing comedy, but I think it kind of speaks to a lot of, to a similar, sort of similar thing where he talks about going, when you've got an idea, don't immediately take it to, you know, your partner or whatever and tell them I've got this great idea because it's so, it's precious. Like it's so vulnerable at that stage. You have to sit with it for 24 hours and then you've got to be careful who you tell it to first in terms of having a friendship layer, like when you're, for anyone, when they've got something that's, um, you know, sense like, you know, the germ of something that's like precious, you gotta be careful who you you allow that to grow around because it can get squashed pretty easily and it could have been something terrific. One, sorry, one thing I wanted to ask you guys was, one thing I've been thinking about lately is the growth mindset. Mm. It's like the, the concept you guys talk about it's funny it's come along at a at an interesting time in my parenting life where like i've got a little boy who's seven and a little girl who's four and the idea of um and it's sort of what we're talking about with comedy before the idea of failing like the idea of um, getting deep into i don't know learning to love failure a little bit well perhaps more than you 
because I think we, I think you know with stuff we've mastered, we know we weren't great at it at the start, but you kind of probably look back on it a bit with rose-colored glasses mm. and go, you know, I got there and now I'm now I feel great about it. But it, it's, it's I'm doing an interesting thing at the moment with my son, and this really made me think about it. I've been doing it for two weeks where I tried I've picked an activity to be bad at. Right, to for as a as like a little educational experiment because we've been doing a lot of homeschooling, so yeah, you know, we're I'm scraping the barrel here, <laughs> but but I this is kind of what I'm trying to, ins- to to instill in my boy this growth mindset idea where I kind of was like when we teach our kids to swim or kick a footy or ride a bike, that's all stuff that we can do and where we have mastered and we're bringing them up to our level, so they see us proficient at mm. swimming like we're not taking swim lessons often with our kids and also struggling the same way they're struggling so it's like i i've recently got back into mountain biking I've, I've been a road cyclist for a long long time but i've never really mountain biked that much since i was like a you know 12 and i've got a mountain bike and i'm trying i'm learning how to do a wheelie that's my thing that i'm sharing with me my goal i turned 40 in december and my goal is can I learn how to wheelie? Pop a mono. By the time I'm 40. Pop a, but, but like, you know, pedal and be able to like balance on a wheelie. And it's hard. Man. And I've signed up to a course online that like breaks it down into 30 steps. But my experiment that I'm doing this morning is to go, I'm trying to have a growth mindset to show him the example of like, I'm suck. Like I'm bad. I'm falling over. I can't get the front wheel up. Today, I, we were at the park, you know, a couple of hours ago. I, I had my first, I really ate shit falling backwards and like landed on my back and like <laughs> luckily had a helmet on and just like popped my sunglasses off and stuff. And I thought it looked so bad. I yelled out to him like, man, it's all right. I'm all right. Because I didn't want him to worry that he's done together. They see this voice going, that was hilarious. <laughs> from, from, from in the bushes. But it's, it's, you know, like I am interested in your journey with the growth mindset. Because was, was it you, Ben, that was talking about you mm. were surprised that you didn't have hadn't one. scored that highly yeah with the growth mindset is that something that you push yourself into doing how do you find that and you know I, my experience is like you have the idea and you're like this is great and you love the idea and then you hit the hard then you hit the yeah. hard bit where you shit and yeah. it's not fun and then you have to keep going purely i think on will to to prove that there'll be something at the other side of it with me a lot of it was about if I'm really on a sort of status and ego, and I've found this ego thing really interesting as we've done the research on the book. Um, It's not like I wasn't trying new things or or sort of learning skills, but I think it was in a very safe, structured fashion. And I think when I was at that big sort of decision point in my life, do I get out of that job that I had some level of proficiency at and try something new where, you know, I really could fail. I I could <laughs> pop a mono onto my back and slam my head in a in a professional sense. Um, th- that came at the same time as I got that growth mindset result and started learning about uh, obviously Carol Dweck's work. And it really that was a light bulb for me that you know the only thing that was holding me back was the idea of of someone sort of laughing at me or or yeah, you know yeah. sort of not uh, being seen to be successful. And I think that really shifted the dynamic in terms of the way I looked at things. And it's been brilliant. I mean, it, it sounds like one of these self-help things, but the sort of starting the business with Tim, and I credit Tim a lot with this in terms of having that safety net and the initial idea to do this. But it has been um, refreshing sucking it. It's like doing something new and almost that beginner's mindset, sort of the, the eyes open to, to learning. Yeah, That's been cool. 
I, in fact, I, I had a really funny sort of, it was this crystallizing moment. So I'd been, you know, the commanding officer of the regiment and it had some sort of waster and, and status and that sort of stuff. And then kind of a couple of months into this job, I remember, you know, cold calling people, essentially, you know, do you want to buy a vacuum cleaner and having some little mid-little <laughs> gatekeeper just shutting me down. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's that's good for the ego. I'm, I'm at that, <laughs> that sort of beginner's, uh, beginner's uh, journey. But it was, I think, you know, to your point on the, the stand-up, it was looking at, well, what's the worst that can happen? And yeah. for me, a lot of it was about that sort of idea of ego and uh, came at the same time I sort of started really thinking about stoicism and, you know, what can I control, what can't I control? I can control giving this a red-hot crack and, and sort of enjoying it and learning. I can't control if anyone laughs at me or if, if I'm seen to be a failure or whatever. And so all of those things kind of coalesced. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I'm I'm kind of fascinated by going through. I mean, it's I know I'm aware that we can be talking about anything more frivolous than learning how to do a wheelie. But there's, uh, <laughs> it's, I cannot do I, a wheelie, so now I'm curious. <laughs> and I sometimes well the thing, and that's why I picked it because I'm like, all right, I I, I, I I get a hunch that I think you're going to pick something that at least you would be happy achieving, right? Mm. But I have the same thing. I'm scared. I, I don't want. I'm, I'm like. And then this sounds crazy, but it's like, I'm being really, okay, if I'm being really honest with my feelings here, I don't want, there was like often kids at the park, 14 year olds <laughs> at the park, and like, I don't want them to laugh. Like I have all my weird, like teenage insecurities yeah. come back up going, shit, I'm going to be laughed at here. And, 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 you know, and I didn't, I didn't have the greatest time as a teenager. You know, that I had sections of my teen years where I did really, you know, I had stuff, I started, I'm probably like real, confusing insecurities and like I wasn't I didn't quite have a group and I couldn't find my way and didn't fit in so it's a funny demon to go and <laughs> yeah. face as a 39 year old dad like going back to the park to <laughs> try to go you know you, you can't you go go right into that park and burn your wheelies but it but it is a, it is it's I'm in a really interesting zone I'm finding in it where I'm I suppose I'm too as well a bit surprised at how much ego there is mm -hmm. in Every time that voice comes up and going, hey, this is dumb. No one will know if you don't do this. Just go home. You don't have to, mm. you're grown up. You don't have to do this. But it's because of that voice that I'm doing it. I'm, I think I'm, I'm doing it to shine a light on that voice to see what happens on the other side of that voice. A bit related. The other thing we like is this principle of locus of control, which is a dynamic scale. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you, you can either be down the external locus of control. It's someone else's fault. My boss didn't like me. That's why I didn't get the promotion or up the internal locus of control where, sure, you might not be able to control everything, but you recognize that most things are inside your power of influence. So yeah, okay, my boss didn't give me the job. What can I learn from that? How do I improve off that basis? And it's an interesting principle looking into my own family. I've got three kids and two of them are down that um, internal locus of control. You know, they, they absolutely believe that they can change the course of their own destiny so to speak and i've got one that isn't that it's always someone else's fault you know oh, the teacher had it out for me dad um the kid didn't like me dad the, you know you you name the excuse and and even trying to nudge um, that child up towards that internal locus of control has been a real challenge and it's quite an interesting diagnostic we've now uh, we've just written our resilience journal which is going to the printer and inside that we ask the people to, when they're journaling, mark where they think they are at that moment in their life, which is, mm. you know, fascinating because we what, want to be pushing I'm, 
the site super the interested what 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 is like what are some of the steps that you can take how old's the the kid that doesn't quite have the internal locus of control yet? that's going to give it away sorry lucy She's okay sorry, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, lucy, do between, suck less lucy sorry somewhere between zero and 30. um <laughs> but what, what i mean because i suppose it's age dependent right like if a kid's five then there's going to be different strategies that you can try versus them being 15. what what yeah. are some of the steps like what are the steps well let's talk about the implications because that's nearly more fascinating so what the psychologists will tell us is if you've got an external locus of control you're more likely to be overweight and depressed. You're more likely yeah. to be a cigarette smoker, probably not yeah. not surprisingly. If you've got an internal locus of control, there's psychs and researchers who have mapped successful people and find the majority of them are down at that internal locus of control. So you kind of want to nudge your thinking down to that end. How do you do it? I mean, you put the word yet on the end of, yeah, that um, you know, I can't do it yet. How do Absolutely. I map my plan to be able to do it a little bit better? And we also have this theory of debriefing your life, like accept every rejection, a bit like Hamish and Andy 2005, as an opportunity to grow. Okay, what did we get wrong? How do we just map a more successful product and then go back to market and be in a little better place than we were? I think step one is that old stoic philosophy, work out and even go to the point of writing down, what can you control about this situation and what can't you control? And so much of what we get worked up about, I reckon, in my case anyway, and my kids when I look at it, is in that can't control category. There's no point yeah. devoting energy to that. But if there's stuff here, you know, teacher hates me, she sucks or whatever. But the things I can control are, you know, maybe do a little more homework or, or focus on this and then sort of weight the effort towards that. Um, mm. That can be a really – and we use it with our sort of grown-up clients and I use it myself as well. You know, it is – it's funny – how just that act of getting stuff out of your head and onto paper can be a really positive and powerful step. Absolutely. It's funny, isn't it? Because you, it's, the word control is such an interesting part of it because I guess, it, you know, let, taking myself back to being a teenager and probably someone that had less of an internal locus of control as a teenager or even when I was younger, it probably comes from a place of wanting to be in control. Like we all, all want to be in control of our destiny or feel like we're in control of life, but it seems too big. And, you know, ironically, it's probably the from the yearning of controlling the big picture and realising, well, no, this teacher, this peer group, like, you know, oh, man, this isn't working out for me. If only I had more money, then I could have cooler shoes mm. and I would fit in or whatever. All the, all the external reasons that we give for not being able to control the big picture, you finally probably come from that that desire to need to feel like we're in control of our destiny. But the, the, the answer, I guess, you realise at some point in life is... You're never in control of the big picture. Yeah. Only in control of your thoughts at best. And they're t they're, 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 all you can make is tiny changes. Like that's it. That's the whole sum of what you can control is mm. tiny incremental changes. But it's a, it's a tough lesson to learn. But it, I've found it's funny how powerful you, you spoke about the man in the arena, but having those kind of mantras and those philosophies, it sounds almost a little like something you'd read in a Kiki K sort of <laughs> empowerment journal or something. But it can actually really help shape how you view those things, you know, that yeah, like you said, I, I am in, you know, yeah, I'm going to fail, but everyone who tries fails. There is no bloody effort without uh, failure and shortcoming. Um, but it is just those incremental steps that get you there. It's funny too. I think with teenagers too, again, like I obviously don't have teenage kids and I'm, all I'm doing is calling, I'm recalling what it was like 25 years ago. But I remember that feeling of being like, I know I'm not 
great at stuff, you know, it's to that, to that, that awkward stage of like, I'm not doing anything. I don't feel like I'm doing anything well and I'm not fitting in and, and people aren't getting me. And that frustration of being a teenager, but I, it, it's funny, isn't it? Like, the, the, I think the thing that gives me hope as a parent, like moving forward to go through, if I've got a kid in the same situation, like often it's just that one thing that clicks, you know, there is a bit of a wildfire effect, I think, when you can find the thing that clicks where you've got a bit of mastery or like self, where you kind of like that, that thing that suddenly you're like, oh, actually I can, I can do something well. And it gives you confidence to build out from there. I have no advice on how to find that, but I, mean, I just remember it being, remember it having an effect. Well, I think we're all just muddling through it. I mean, no one's got it absolutely nailed. You know, you're recognising you haven't, Hamish, we haven't. Um, we do know one thing, and that's that life isn't fair. You know, that's probably a real mm. overtone of our book. And so we've got to get used to that level of discomfort. And probably the other thing on the principle of failure, if you look at the successful people in life, most of them have realised catastrophic failure. You know, they have yeah. been through that and learnt from it and adapted and then gone back again. And, you know, we, we walked through... Um, you know, a, a, well, wore a cap badge for years. It said, "Who dares wins." It was a little bit about calculator risk taking and learning yeah. from your lessons. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's that. Uh, there's also that. I mean, I think it's a Silicon Valley thing where they like just fail quickly, fail yeah. fast. It's probably mm-hmm. the advice that I would give. You know, in the instances I ever get advice for like young kids, I'm like, just do heaps of things mm. now. Just do them really fast because you, <laughs> you know you're 18 and you're 22. Like you've got zero, nothing holding you back the except thing, your own worries. The thing I laugh about that, I, there's one of those motivational posters: fail fast, fail early, fail often. And I'm thinking that's shitty advice. <laughs> if, if that's if that's all you're giving, that is terrible it, advice. It, it does. Yeah. It does need. A, it does need a second poster. There's a writer it? that that says, "Learn from the mistakes," and and that's you know I, I reckon Tim mentioned uh, journaling before, and the military does after action reviews. Pilots are really good at it, um, but all of that has the implication that you're kind of learning from those failures, and even that you know that the cliched uh, ten thousand hours, the old Anders Ericsson via Malcolm Gladwell idea it's all contingent on it being ten thousand deliberate hours you know it's not just sort of getting reps up it's actually learning from that and and focusing your practice and so that that's the one sort of caveat i I don't totally agree because it's it's, that's 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 the point even like you like picking something that you're even like wheelies you i'm on a program like if it was just go out in the street and try and figure this out for yourself it would just be a waste of time but it's but I, that's why kind of that's why i've signed up for a program on day seven and practice i'm finding the float zone if you guys are interested i'll, I'll, I'll keep you abreast of the process but it is yes no fail fail so you can learn would be my advice to but also i my, also my advice to teenagers and uh like you know kids in that zone i'm sure you guys are the same is you guys don't realize this now but because you think life will just be infinite and it will always feel like this mm, yeah. all the dumb shit that you're doing now are your best stories <laughs> like that would be my message to my kids as teenagers just be like i know th- this sounds crazy but the worse you feel the more embarrassed you feel right now <laughs> this will be one of the this will be one of the top three this is going to be one of the big ones this is going to be one of the great stories i reckon there's also you can set yourself up <laughs> I was a fat kid as a teenager and I reckon that has given me some weird psychological thing where I'm unlikely to be overweight again. That, I agree. I was of, the same. Yeah. 
It, oh um, yeah, I was, I was, I mean, I wasn't too, I wasn't like obese, but I was just, I was just unathletic. I yeah. honestly did not think anything physical was for me. And that's, I actually had this conversation with my wife other night because we, we both have different, really different. This is not something I talk about that often, but like, I love physical exertion. Like I have, I've discovered a love for it in my thirties and it's probably just increasing as I get older. And my wife and I don't, um, we don't have the same attitude towards working out. Like those, like, you know, I'll do some Pilates and stuff and I'm doing it because you want to sort of stay moderately flexible and strong as you get older, but she doesn't enjoy it. Like, I think that was the discussion we're having. And she was like, you know, you're going cra- crazy out there. Like, so for in lockdown, I bought an, an assault bike, which is, you know, you, yeah, I yeah. don't think it doesn't really matter what kind of kit you have, but that's a pretty good machine mm-hmm. for making you cry pretty fast. <laughs> that's the devil's so, eye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can really vomit within a minute. If you, you vomit probably quicker than a minute, if you want. Without the 24, um, 0.00% beers too. <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, I'm sure you guys have done some, some time on it. Um, but anyway, like, you know, she's looking at me outside and I'm doing like a workout and I'm pushing myself and I, and I love it. Like, and I think it's what you're talking about, Ben. I'm sure there's a deeper psychological reason for this, but I was not, it just wasn't on my, it was mm. not anything I thought I could do. So when I'm, and I'm only really going against myself, but I, I, you know, I love burying myself for an hour a day, which seems like a lot, I suppose. And that was a conversation we were having. Like, but it's really not like, I mean, we got to do is look at your screen time on your phone to realize that we're spending an hour on much worse stuff during the day. So if you can be disciplined and, and find the time, and that's always a bit of a juggle with kids, but mm. I love it. And I think the reason I love doing it, and the re- reason I've loved doing it more is like, if you're at your absolute limit and your legs are screaming and your lungs are screaming, and there's that voice inside you that you know would, wouldn't have let you get anywhere near this when you were, yep. you know, 15 or 16 or 23 or whenever, that's who you're battling. Like, that's who you, you go there to find that voice. You go right to the edge to see what you do at the edge. And, uh, and I love, I love that. I've, I've got, a, I'm a bit addicted to it because there's that extra kicker for guys like us that were a bit chubby <laughs> where we're like, we never thought we'd be there, right? You never would have thought you would be there. Even now, like just about your whole career, like you've obviously you got nothing to prove, but I bet you when you're at that absolute limit of your failure, when your body's like, I'm out, I can't keep going. I don't have 10 more seconds in me. The thing that you answer it with, with is I would wager a bet that it's the same as me where you're trying to prove it to yeah. that older version of yourself that you can and, and, People change and look where you are now. That little Freudian fat kid sort of <laughs> lurking somewhere. It's fascinating. I reckon I mean, there's definitely there's definitely a category of us that were. Um, I'm not putting myself in the same athletic uh, world as you, Ben, but, uh, but uh, there's definitely a category of us that, as, a, as an internal motivator, there's that extra source on it because you know where you know where you've been, you know who you're battling. the other funny thing and and again through sort of doing this research for the book but the overlap in terms of you mentioned before like that ability to to focus on you know the the hair on your daughter's earlobe and and really just get in that one place you can find that in a whole bunch of different ways obviously meditation's one but i I reckon physical exertion when you're in that spot you've just described 
You're not thinking about anything else. You are just in that one spot and really just focused. I I think there's that psychological overlap there as well, the same benefits. And I I play, you know, I'm fascinated by the mental side of exercise too. Like as a cyclist, like Mm -hmm. I I do a fair bit of road cycling. And one of the things you do on the bike trainer is like, you know, there's a whole bunch of like tests you can do and your threshold tests and stuff. Mm -hmm. And you know your zones. Like you, you, the good thing about bike training is it's pretty numbers based. So if you, for people that are into it, you know you, people will be very familiar with what bikes and things like that. And that power output is you you can't hide. Same yeah, with a rowing it. machine. Yeah, you cannot hide. You can't. It, as great as a push up is, you can do twenty easy push ups. You can do twenty hard push ups, and only you really know how you know like how perfect they were. But you cannot hide on a what bike, and you cannot hide on a rowing machine. And so you know when you're in that in that zone, like you know. It, the, the the whole reason I do it is because you, you you have that voice inside you screaming like this is too much this is too hard you've gone too far and I find it interesting to practice in those moments of trying to meet it with calmness mm. like almost trying to meet it internally to go what if you're fine what if you pretended you were fine right now how would that feel and I think you can get absolutely lost for me that becomes a bit meditative to just to to go into like into that moment when you're when you when you're battling you you know that everything's sort of like predisposed to hysteria in mm. your head like screaming this is this is like you've got to stop this to see if you can in that moment even if it's just for an instant like meet it with a bit of like a smile and to see if you to just pretend if you were fine for that moment mm. i like that yeah that's a differential between fitness and toughness we tell a little bit of that story in the book you know 150 odd people that start candidates that start an essay selection course the really really fit ones are gone on day three or four the tough ones are the ones that ultimately get through and it's that mind-body connection that's crucial i'm going to steal something from cadell evans here but i was lucky enough to do a few rides with cadell and i I remember asking because i mean like those the numbers that cadell puts out again i'll just bore anyone that's nerdy about bikes but you know, like it was like, I oh, on a climb that lasts 40 minutes. Um, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm putting out maybe 450 watts for, for 40 minutes, which is like unbelievable. And he weighs nothing, so his mm, power to weight mm. is incredible off the charts. Off the charts, so like, you know, I can probably hold 450 watts as a civilian, normal human walking around, you know, 450 watts a minute, maybe like tops. So it's just crazy he can do 40 times that exertion. Mm. But in that zone, so I'm like, but he's like, we're, we're, you know, we're wrecked. At the end of it, he's like, you know, end of a Tour de France day, you're using 103% of your, what you're capable of. So you are depleting your body over those 22 days. You're not comfortable. It's hell, but it's that's why it's the toughest race on earth. But I, was, I said to him, I was like, what is your mental talk? When you're on a mountain like that, like you're on a climb, you're battling it out, you, you know, mm. Someone goes past you to try and get in your head and sow a bit of a seed of doubt. Like the mental game must be insane. Like, what is your self-talk? And Kiddo was like, I bring it back to one breath. I bring it back. He's like, I look at my hands and I look at my elbows and I make sure I'm on the bike. I'm, I'm you know, it comes back to controlling mm. what you can control. He's like, I make sure my position is good. Like my elbows are at the right angle. My, I'm sitting on the saddle properly. Like, and then and then I do this breath properly like he gets in a state where he's like I just try and do this single breath properly so like in that 40 minute climb he's just lost in that moment of each breath and if you do each breath properly I guess eventually we're at the top of the mountain but that's always stuck with me as a great mantra when you are at the wall to just see if you can do one more good breath and I tell you you know I guess harking back to things like that Freudian fat kid 
when you quit, like, and, and I've done this a couple of times, particularly early in the, the piece, I sort of set my sights on the selection course and I wasn't, didn't come from a fit base. And I remember pulling out of a 10K fun run or something. I'd gone out too hard and it all got a bit difficult and I, I quit. And there was this split second of sort of just immense and overwhelming relief and then just this burning shame that I can actually still feel to this day, you know. And those kind of things, those that learning from failure, learning what the, the opposite of pain in the moment is, that sort of enduring sort of shame, um, those kind of experiential learnings can be really <laughs> powerful motivators in, in uh, subsequent efforts as well. I reckon. I absolutely. I absolutely know what you mean. And I've had many times like that when I had to do something physical and was terrible at it in my team. And I think that's what I've got in my head too now. We're going, ah, you know, you 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 know what it's like to to you know that that's the extra motivation I suppose to try and do. And I, and I, and, I, and, I, and like this means nothing. It's so funny because it's like for all of for anyone that's in the same boat. Like, and I know you guys are super fit guys. Like it's funny because you sometimes just have those moments going, what am I doing down here in the basement? Just like. My hands and knees panting, it's like in a puddle of my own sweat. Like this is, I'm I'm giving nothing to society. Like I'm riding a stationary bike, or I'm on a rowing machine, or I'm just trying to, you know, do as many burpees as I can. Mm. But you are doing it. You, you know, we know what we're doing. It we're doing it because it's a pretty quick simulation, I suppose, to do a hard thing and to see how you respond personally. And everyone's different at, at that edge of it being too hard. And that, I know you haven't finished the adaptation chapter, but that for me is kind of the, the moral of the story, that transferability of, you know, whether it is that endeavour on a, a rowing machine or doing burpees, it kind of then transfers. It makes it harder to quit, I don't know, your relationship or that, that tough job uh, assignment. You know, it, it it's almost a virtuous circle in terms I of... I do agree. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, we, absolutely. Weave a few things together. I mean, you know, that's that mind-body connection. I've recently discovered the gravel bike, Camish, and bike oh, great. Yeah, awesome fun. Awesome yeah, fun. Unbelievable. I, I didn't realise that you could have that much fun on a on a bike in the wilderness, but also with your mates. I mean, we're about to a group of us cycle a length of Tasmania, so yeah, oh, you've got to be physically prepared trip. for that. There's going to be mental aspects. There's certainly going to be times when it's going to really suck but we will be there together so bring it back to this theme of resilience yeah it's wonderful to weave those things together ultimate holiday i mean honestly there could be nothing greater than yeah picking a picking a physical endeavor and doing it with mates what a great trip are you guys self-supporting oh, i'm not sure we're going to go that far <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, is it like you've got everything on your bikes or is that the... Yeah, that that's the concept with a support vehicle or two. and But we wouldn't also rule out the possibility of a night or two at a pub. Nor should you. And I hope you go down the East Coast and you can stay at somewhere very fancy. <laughs> All right. Speaking of physical exertion, your football club, the Melbourne Football Club... Yes. ...in very... Uh, in the very near term, are about to play the AFL Premiership versus the Western Bulldogs. Can you talk about your relationship with the footy club and probably what you would do to be in West Australia <laughs> for that for that game? I would do anything. I mean, it's. I'd, I think I'd sort of resign myself to the fact just because I'm in Sydney at the moment. Mm. We, you know, in Sydney's because of the COVID situation, like. Again, interesting, interesting playing a psychological game where you, you know, you can't get too attached to the finish. It's a movable finish line. I think it's that funny thing of like going, going, you know, 
if we went into if people went into lockdown going okay well this is going to be two weeks and we you know hanging all my hopes on it being two weeks you do set yourself up to be broken pretty easily so we mm. are playing a step-by-step game in sydney and i had probably come to terms with the fact you know when the the grand final was going to be the mcg it probably was it probably was a little a little hard uh to get there so I had I had resigned myself to the fact that it probably wasn't going to happen. Um, but now it's in Perth, probably even harder going going mm. from um, going from lockdown in Sydney to to get across the Western Australian border. There's a wonderful couple of short videos that you've done appealing to the WA Department of Transport to issue you a West Australian license. Your appeal to Optus Stadium that you're actually a Melbourne Football Club player. Just shaved his beard and is Max Gorn. <laughs> Put the beard I did, on. I did try to do that, different. which I found on that on that on that Instagram post. Um, you know, Maxie commented under. He's like, "Hang on, so can I go to Optus now, or have they changed the past?" <laughs> well, I want to see you do no, the no, luck no. work for Melbourne. You're still in. You're still in, Max. You still. We need you. We absolutely need you leading from the front, Maxie. Yeah, kicked five goals last week in a in a stellar performance. Oh, um, and then the appeal to Mark McGowan. Have you had a response? I mean, he he wouldn't let Eddie Maguire in. He might yeah. might let no, you. In. My tactic for Mark was to tell him I had a secret. I needed to tell him. <laughs> Um, and I can't, obviously can't say what the secret is because I do have to see him in person. So hopefully, hopefully Mark gets back in, Mark gets back in touch. I mean, it's the the prospect of the secret is so juicy that he he decides to fly me over in a through, through, from a private jet bubble to bubble. <laughs> That's right. Well, fifty seven years since Melbourne last won a premiership. Is That's that right? Sixty four. Yeah. Yep. And for a died in the wall Melbourne supporter, what does it mean for the Melbourne Footy Club? I think everyone's in shock still a little bit. Like, I mean, of course, like you know, three years ago the D's sort of were up and about in 2018 when we made the preliminary final in the AFL. And as a you know, someone that's deep into this, I think even as a casual sports fan, there's some great, you know, there's some really heartwarming kind of lessons to be learned and. You know, 2018, the, the D's make the, the last game before the grand final, the preliminary final against West Coast in Perth, where they played last weekend and got absolutely crushed. I was in New York at the time and was watching the whole final series. I was like, guys, this is like talking to I've got American friends and stuff like buddies were catching up with everybody. I was like, guys, you don't understand how this is like, this team has not been good for a long time. <laughs> and now we're like, I think, you know, we've got it, we've won this, we're like, this is the game basically before the Super Bowl. And it was like, oh, this is crazy. So it was like, let's, so there's one club in New York called the Australian Bar that kind of shows Aussie sport. Like a lot of Aussies, if you're ever in New York, a lot of Aussies know about it on 57th Street or something. And so the game's on at like one in the morning. And like, it's kind of New York to WA was not a favorable time <laughs> differential. So, I was like, let's. We, I didn't have a. I didn't have like a D's um, jumper with me, but I was like, look, it's pretty easy, guys. We went to Zara during the day. I bought like a navy blue t-shirt and a red t-shirt, just cut a <laughs> cut a V, and so kind of gaffer taped and stapled and made like made homemade like demons supporting you. So I was giving them all to my American buddies. We all get to the bar. It's like half West Coast, half demons. And the D's probably had one of their lowest scoring. The D's scored goal to halftime. I think the halftime score was something like. 84 to 6 and the American and even you just knew like I think the, I think West Coast gets like six really fast goals at the start of the game and it was really it was disappointing for all sports fans because it was like oh it's just this is it it's over like it's, this is this is done we you know everyone was excited to watch a full game of finals and uh, we've got half um <laughs> but you know the Americans I went they were like is this you know does this happen in AFL could they come back 
this is not, you know, it's not, not quite like soccer where suddenly it can be a draw, <laughs> you know, like two, two quick goals and we're all back. No, no, guys, this is bad. Yeah, no, no goals to a halftime. That's, um, yeah, that's no, we're not going to win this one. Unrecoverable. Yep. Uh, so it was a real, and I know it was really gutting for the, the guys that were there too. So for, two, you know, three years down the track to kind of be facing a lot of the same echoes from the past, I think, like, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be mates with, with Maxi Gordon. I just reckon he's a, he's done an amazing job as a leader. Um, and, and his mental game, I find really pretty inspirational. I think he's just got a, an incredible, I mean, what I really love about Maxi is like he understands the gravity and he understands the the past too. But he's also got a very, very good ability, I think, of going, um, of not getting too caught up in the analytics of the past. I, I think that's really quite admirable because my certainly my instinct would be, you know, the bigger the game, the tighter you turn your brain on, the tighter you screw down. Like you know, almost the more you clench mentally. And you guys would know from. But the, you know, I'm sure the research you've done in your careers, it's not that's not the key. Like people, people, you know, tunnel visioning and, and mm. clenching mentally, the bigger the occasion gets, is actually probably a bit of a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So being able to re- remain intelligent and kind of receptive to the lessons, but relaxed and having fun. Like I think that's been beautiful to watch this year with the D's. Like they clearly have a great um they just clearly have a great mental game and a great kind of uh, camaraderie and a great team spirit heading into it. So it's been a very, very long time since the Ds are in this position. It was wild, I mean, to, to see the game on Friday night and just to, from half time basically to be like, oh, my God, I was in the grand final. This doesn't, this sentence still feels incredible. But I think, can I just share one thing? And I think you guys would like it and I think your listeners would like it too. At the end of... And I think Maxie's talked about this publicly, so I don't think I'm speaking out of school here. But at the end of um, at the end of the regular season, right? Geelong played Melbourne in the last round of the regular season, and same as NRL, like for people that don't care about AFL, same as any you know, if you finish on top, that's the minor premiership. Melbourne hadn't hadn't won the minor premiership also since 1964. Had never finished on top of the ladder for 57 years. There's 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 the scores are essentially tied. Maxie Gorn marks it. Like, you know, I think we were, I think we were down by four. Mm. Gorney marks it, the siren goes. So now he's not just kicking for the win, mm. but he's kicking to get Melbourne back to the top of the table. He's kicking to win the minor permission. First time in 57 years. Enormous kick. Plus, two years ago, he had a kick from the same spot after the siren against Geelong in the first round, and he fluffed it. And... So obviously all the Geelong players are letting him, you know, all of that. He knows that Maxie's talked about that goal many, many times before and just how much he, he screwed that goal up. So couldn't be a bigger kick. The biggest kick of his career, it's against the same team. Like the temptation there, I think, for the mental, for all of that narrative to like spew into your head and for you to get ahead of yourself and, and to lose focus on what you're doing would be enormous, right? Mm. Knowing how this looks. He marks it and Stephen May, who's a defender for Melbourne, runs up. They runs up and says something to him, right? And then Gordon was a bit rushed, he was a bit stressed, and he talked about it afterwards. He was like, he, I said, did you know how much, like, did, you must have known it was nearly the end of the game. He goes, yeah, someone told me with a minute to go, then I forgot. <laughs> so when I marked the ball, he was right, he goes, I was rushing. And then thank God the siren went, because it's like, okay, you've got time now, you can reset. He just, he, funnily enough, he was like, as soon as the siren went, I knew I'd got it, mm-hmm. which I find fascinating too, because we didn't. Like, <laughs> we were very clenched bodies. But I asked him afterwards, I was like, what did May say to you? 
when like what did he run up and say to you knowing how big the moment was and Courtney was like he said no matter what I'll always love you and I laughed and I was like no, that's funny but what did he actually say and Courtney goes no that's what he said he ran up and he was said hey no matter what I'll always love you and that's when I was like I think we might win the grand final because <laughs> for that to be the first instinct of the team yeah. to go to not go hey mate calm down calm, like to not kind of like rise to the pressure of that, that the tenseness of that moment that like every fan was feeling but to have like if, if that's the mental state of the team to run up to the captain and go hey whatever happens i'll always love you because it's not the last kick of the season we've still got finals to play we've still got a lot of work to do i i, I just loved that yeah. in that moment i was like oh my god this that's a winning team like that's a winning team mentality someone that runs up and goes don't, you know, really focus, slow down, breathe. <laughs> that's someone that's really attached to the, that moment, that that panic, and isn't thinking about their mate's mental state and isn't thinking about the long game. And and I was just like, man, that's 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 got to be one of the great moments. And, I mean, that almost bookends this idea of kind of resilience and living in the moment. I mean, it's not about the outcome. It's about the journey, yeah. you know, and yeah. I, I love that idea that, yeah, this is more important than whatever actually ultimately happens because like you said way back in the uh, middle of the conversation you know that's the stuff you look back on that's yeah. those moments it's it's not necessarily the outcome or the reward or the product or, or what you get out of it and it's a beautiful it is a beautiful example of stoicism isn't it where it's like it's as you guys write about in the book where it's like it's not events it's how you react and 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 you know, if Maxi had missed that goal, right? Like a teammate that's like, oh, gee, why did you miss it? That's damn it, we were so close to winning. That's that's all on you, right? That's all your reaction. And you've you've allowed that missed kick to ruin your hopes and dreams and to to, to rock you mentally. Mm-hmm. But someone that runs up and goes, No matter what, I'll always love you. And if the kick misses, you go, Right, there we go. Well, that's all right. Kick some, miss some. <laughs> You know, you're unshaken. So I think it's, I, don't know, I was just like, that's that's super impressive mentally. Mm. Well, good luck to Melbourne Footy Club. In fact, I think it was Steve Smith, the cricketer, that described every ball in a cricket match as, quote, an event. And yeah. I love that, that, that every delivery that he faces has its own majestic time. Mm. And yeah, oh, there'll be many beautiful. in the past, there's many in the future, but every ball's an event. And it's I the same that. principle, isn't it? That he is just treating that, opportunity as being so precious in his life that he'd call it an event not another delivery yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, i love that i love that and actually cricket's a great sport for that to, you know because i suppose the way we think you know there's you know every second of the day we, we probably can't focus on every second but if you were present once every hour that's probably not enough like cricket actually is a great <laughs> tempo yeah. for, for delivery six deliveries is a good <laughs> amount of time to kind of like cherish the event reset Re-get back in the <laughs> It was actually my introduction to mindfulness techniques because I happened upon an app that had done some mindfulness work with the Australian cricket team in the field, you know, long periods yeah, right. of nothing, but then you've got to tune in and be ready you yes. know, in that in that critical moment. And so they taught the cricket cricketers who are in the outfield in particular, I guess also in the infield, how to just decompress their mind in the time off, how to not worry about the next event or the in-between times, but tune into something else, tune out of the game, and then tune back in at the right time. I mean, it is phenomenal. Like, the mental discipline to play mm. test cricket. It's like, you know, even, like, wicket-keeping, being in the slips, like, to have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of deliveries a day where in a millisecond mm. you're reacting and, and 
and you're all, you know, you you're basically on the knife edge of action, and they're not yeah. fighting fighting the evidence that's in front of you, which is something probably isn't about to happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like the over the overwhelming evidence is. All signs point to nothing happening. You've got to be ready for it's something. It's not like to backyard cricket, you know. Can't get out first ball. Oh, mate, wasn't ready. Wasn't ready for that. Too fast. Yeah. That's it. it to finish okay. up, speaking of, of extraordinary endeavours, as we were earlier, you bumped us from our our scheduled uh, time last week to <laughs> to crack a safe. <laughs> what? I'm really crack I, I'm, a safe. I'm, I'm glad I did. Yeah, I'm glad I did. Well, I, I, I was please tell me there were jewels or like you know what. I know I don't know when this is going to go out, so this this will spoil it for any overlap with any Hamish and Eddie podcast listeners. But we're renovating our house at the moment, and and we moved the wardrobe, and there was a safe in the wall. And we've only owned this house for about six months. We had no idea the safe was there. So we're like, oh my god! So I went, to, I did a podcast each week with Anne, and I was like, God, I've got some great news. <laughs> We found a safe. I'm donating it to the show. Whatever's in there, this is for everyone. We're all, we're hoping for felt bags. We're hoping for bullion. You know, could be drugs. Like, let's like let's really have a game plan here to turn them in. If we've got to be ready for anything. So the, the builders, you know, they, they kind of crowbarred the safe out of the wall. And I was like, guys, can we come over and, and, and do it? And because of COVID restrictions and also getting the petrol-powered grinder, which is what you needed to grind the safe open, mm. you know, I was like, of all the things, when I was chatting to Ben, I was like, look, I'm absolutely, we are locked in. I'm good to go on Friday. And then I'm not that busy at the moment because just, I'm just, you know, there's not much going on apart from homeschooling. And so when the builders were like, it can only be this time on Friday, we got the petrol power grinder because we've got to wait for everyone to be offside and a whole bunch of reasons. I was like, oh my God, it's exactly what we're doing it, the podcast. It, it did feel <laughs> like it was one of those, you know, you ask that really good looking girl out and she accidentally says yes. And then she comes back with this sort of, <laughs> Sorry, mate, I'm grinding oh, a safe. It's the only time I could get a petrol powered grinder to crack a safe. It's like, <laughs> oh, dude, just tell us you don't want to do the show. We, like, we can live with that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, sorry, my, my uncle owns an ice skating rink and I've always wanted to go on the Zambioni and it's the only day I can do it. So just said, I would have loved just 52 weeks of outrageous excuses. But it was, it was very exciting. Um, it was ground, uh, cut a little square in it, got in the back and there was something solid rattling around in there. So we're like, all right, we've got something. And, and then something a little softer that did sound a little bit like a felt bag the solid thing was the shelving of the of the safe that had kind of come loose and then um the soft thing was the instructions to <laughs> and how to open the safe how to open the safe which we didn't need anymore because we figured out how to open it yeah. <laughs> Just i remember doing my demolitions course and there was a safe on the demolitions range and we thought hey we've seen you know all of these movies it's easy to use demolitions to open a safe full disclosure is not <laughs> We tried to blow it open, I reckon, about six or seven times. And then we thought, oh, you know, let's just where, double. Where do, you put, where, where do you put the explosives? Do you put it on the front door or do you tried that? The tried the hinges, tried the lock. And I just hardly, wasn't moving. And hardly made a dent. And so then we, we blew in using a, a shape, shape charge through the top just to create yep. a little hole. And then we thought, okay, you've got to tamp this up with some water. So we filled it through, full of water, dropped a larger explosive charge down the hole and then blew it up. Never to be seen again. I have no idea where that safe went. <laughs> Suffice oh, right. to say, see, the idea is, it so just if, if vaporized. You fill it with water, yeah. So if you fill it with water, it creates so much pressure in there. Is that the idea? I think that's the idea. Yeah. Any demolitions experts might want to let us is know. Is it Moore's law? Oh, yeah, Moore's law. 
something to do. Yeah. But you, you reckon it could still be in the air? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, well, it was there and then it was not there. I have oh, no good, idea. I mean, it's a good idea. So it so just vaporised. There was a lot of blow that got it. loaded down into that safe. Yeah. And yeah, I've got... Who's watching you guys when you do it? I mean, it just does sound a bit like... I mean, I assume you've got instructors and stuff, but it doesn't just go and goes, we've left a bunch of stuff in the back paddock. Here's 400 yeah. kilos of explosive. Come, come back and tell go, us. Go play. <laughs> go play around. Well, there is actually a bunker, so safety is a consideration. Mm, you, that's good. You, what else did you have to blow up on the explosives? Because, I mean, this just sounds we, like an absolute dream come through. Is it too great. late for me to join it? No, it's the best fun. That course is fantastic. We bought a car, a $400 car, because a bunch of us who passed the course got went over to Perth and we needed a way of getting around. And this thing was a clunker. And we'd been pulled over by the police and then they saw we were from the regiment and, you know, took um, umbrage on us. Anyway, we ended up thinking we can't keep driving this thing and we drove it out to the demolitions range and, and blew it up. And had much more success than you you say. That that was good fun. It doesn't sound to be honest, it doesn't sound as secure as the same. <laughs> yeah. No, it was not. It I mean was not. It, it, it sounds is. about as it sounds about as roadworthy, but it doesn't sound as secure. <laughs> how did how, so how did that like what's the best way to blow up the car? Is that uh Anfo, so what is it? Ammonium nitrate ammonium nitrate fuel oxygen. Um so a big yeah. diesel bomb. Um that yeah, it Apparently, it's a low explosive, so it's a heavy moving charge. And, um, yeah, it absolutely incinerated this thing, engine block and all. It was cool. Like heavy, a heavy moving charge is in like it's got a big force behind it. But it yeah, exactly, slide. exactly. It's not, um, it's not a fast moving. I think it, it shifts. They use it to um, like in agriculture and, and uh, mining, you know, it, it shifts big loads of dirt and that sort of stuff. Yeah, gotcha. I'm yeah. pretty sure, mate. I'm pretty sure... I made. Well, I watched my dad make one at the farm to get rid of a tree stump. Yeah, once. yeah, that exactly <laughs> same thing. <laughs> well, there's a little handbook that you use to do your demolitions calculations. You know, based on this dimension of steel or concrete. You know, here's the calcs you want. And it gives you. It, it tells you how much fun it's going to be. <laughs> it does. It tells you how <laughs> much explosives you should use, and then the <laughs> SAS appreciation is let's double that. <laughs> <laughs> and then we should be successful. Oh my god, this just sounds like absolute it's the best fun. <laughs> that's that's what's cool. that's what's that is what's missing from you know that's the bit you don't see as a civilian. You're like you guys pass this course, you'll be part of an elite few. Then it gets fun. Then <laughs> yeah. as, as a special <laughs> treat. <laughs> yeah, they say it's Australia. They don't have that in the outtakes, do they? Yeah, they don't. They don't. <laughs> this is not a game until <laughs> until we do the explosive stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, but my, my kids, my kids, they just have no idea what the show is. I mean, the SAS, but the because it was running during the Olympics a lot, mm. and that ad was, and it had Ant Middleton, you know, yelling, "This is not a game." They just, and my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, is is English and kind of has a pretty similar accent, and so they're like, "Oh, it just sounds like Uncle Andy," and so for like weeks, like my. <laughs> Like my seven-year-old, my look, there's nothing cuter than a four-year-old girl getting in the face of her brother going, this is not a game. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Full, full instructing stuff. We'll keep but it I mean, up because Dr. Dan Pronk is the ex-Special Forces doctor yeah. on SAS Australia. So, can, yep, he'll, I mean, he will I, be I, appearing. What's the what's the attitude amongst the, you know people that actually have been in the SAS from the people I've talked to and, and but I don't want to put words in your mouth is it's like you know it's it's seen as 
Because uh, the branding is interesting. Is there an element where you're like, well, that was our job and that's actually not what we did? It's a funny one. Like the British take it super seriously. So the British SAS excommunicate, you know, there's a persona non grata status. And in fact, we spoke... Uh, with Billy Billingham on on this, and you know it's kind of leaving the fold to to go and do something yeah, right. like that. So it's it's actually quite significant for those guys involved in it. Um, it's I think there are elements, there are principles of that show. I, well, actually, I've never watched it, but from what I understand, that that you know it's similar sorts of things that you you're trying to screen for in the selection course. But of course, it's got to be made into entertainment, got to be made good TV. So. Well, I mean, it, 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 I mean, I don't know if this season is, but it's it's a bit of a giveaway that it's sponsored by a new idea. I mean, it's basically a scandalous interview wrapped <laughs> up in some physical exertion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, a, and a helicopter periodically. Yeah. And, 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 and each other. But I mean, look, taking nothing away from it, I'm sure it's like it's super hard for people that are doing it. But I, you know, I'm from what I understand from mates and stuff, it's obviously not. Well, I mean, that's the funny thing about the ad. Like when he's like, yelling at people, this is not a game. That's why I think if I was on the show, I'd go, but it is. <laughs> Pretty much, it's a game There's made-up rules. You're in charge. It's arbitrary. Um, there's winners and losers. It does sound a lot like a game to me. And exactly if, if when I get through, I don't join the SAS. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and at the end of this, I have no, I have no, the Australian government will not recognise the <laughs> qualification no. in any way, shape or form. So to be honest, it does sound a lot like a game. Yeah. Well, suffice to say that SAS Australia selection course is a fair bit different mm. to the show. But yes, in, I... in defence, Dan did say that they were not mugging. <laughs> Whether it's a game or not, it was, it was still full on. Like the, the participants I I, I... were going through. Some pretty and I think it's stuff. actually you, you. You actually get, especially people that have done TV before. You get a, you, there would be a real element of going. Because a lot of TV's pretensies, like a lot of TV is like, okay, well, you know, I know what we're going to get for cameras, but then after that, guys, we all, uh, <laughs> you know, we're all good. Yeah. I, I'm sure, I'm just, I have no doubt, and for I understand that, you know, the show does not have, you do not, there's not the kids' glove, the, the, the luxury is, okay, we stop filming now, guys. We yeah, can all, back to the, the resort. We can all relax. So I think for, I think for people coming from our, our world, which is, you know, I mean, there's no less, um, I think a TV, a normal TV set, there's no less uh, equal hierarchy on it. Like it's so biased towards the people on camera being treated like delicate geniuses, and getting <laughs> lots of food and like plenty of snacks, and nothing can ever upset you if you're on camera. And <laughs> I'm sure it's not like you know if you're a non a normal TV show, it's like this is your special room. You know the lighting guys don't get one. You get like couches, and you know can we get you anything? <laughs> Like every effort is made to protect the, the the fragile celebrity. So I think it would be, which is a very weird thing too. Like I always, I still get a strain weirded out by that inequality. I think that yeah. you have on, you know, it just in inbuilt in the system from TV, movies. But I, but it would be interesting. There would definitely be some surprises. I reckon for people stepping onto that set. <laughs> well, listen, Hamish, we should let you go, mate. It's been a brilliant chat. I'm glad I didn't try and squeeze it in uh, pre-demo because I was like. We could do it if we keep it to an hour, but I'm so glad we got the time to talk. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. Well, listen, Blake. Bronk. Curtis. Awesome to talk. Thank you very much. Um, and thanks for your reflections on all things resilience. I really got a lot out of, I guess, sharing sort of different tips and techniques. And yeah, I think our listeners will as well. Oh, likewise, guys.
mate, well done again on the book. Like I really, I really have loved it. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's going to be a really odd experience for someone to be like really into a book and then get to be a guest on the podcast of the people that wrote the book. It is, it does feel like a reverse <laughs> book interview, but um, well done guys. Thanks. I'm sure on behalf of the, you know, probably the thousands and thousands of people who this book affects, but will never say anything because that is the nature of putting things out. I think we, you know, we have a huge waiting for, for the, for the feedback we hear about, but we, it, you know, it's easy to, to to forget or not be aware of the feedback we never hear about. So on behalf of the thousands of people that, that love the book and never say anything, thanks for what you've done. Thanks, Hamish. And even though your resilient survey scores are confidential, we'll make sure they're released on social media. <laughs> <laughs> See you, mate. See you later. See you, boys. One of them's growing Not fast enough them's flowing not far enough one of them's crying for what has made it sad one of them's dying from what it never what it never ever ever had
Now to the debrief. We relentlessly pursue excellence on Unforgiving 60 and we want your insights and feedback. And indeed, if you know someone who has great insights to share with us that have a practical difference, then get in touch with us at debrief at unforgiving60.com. That's unforgiving60.com. We love speaking to anyone who's been walking on the path less travelled and is generally living the life less ordinary. And if you like the podcast, please rate us on iTunes. You can also follow us on social media. Just search at Unforgiving60. That's Unforgiving60. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. You know what to do. See you next episode on the Unforgiving 60.